Good day, everyone. Friday, May 5. I'm sure most of you are aware Gordon Lightfoot, famous uh, songwriter, passed away this week at the age of 84. Growing up, he was one of my all-time favorites. Most well-known for the record, the Edmund Fitzgerald. Also, uh, Sundown, and uh, if you could read my mind, just, just a great, great, great songwriter. At any rate, um, as is our custom, uh, this date in history, I'll go quickly through this. We can get to the uh, topic of the day. We're privileged to have Tom Thornton, good friend, and very uh, observant market watcher uh, to weigh in with his views today. So what did I learn today? Uh, or what was I reminded of? Some of us I didn't even know. Uh, in 1821, Napoleon died. Uh, he was in exile on a British island uh, of St. Helena in the South Atlantic. That was in 1821. In 1904, this is really cool, 1904, I'm a baseball nut, 1904, Cy Young pitched the first perfect game in Major League Baseball. Um, the Boston Americans beat the Philadelphia uh, Athletics 3-0. There were actually a couple of perfect games that were pitched earlier in 1880, <laughs> this is crazy, but the rules were a lot different. Uh, the modern-day rules were established in 1893. Before the modern-day rules, it took eight balls to walk a batter, and the distance from the pitcher's mound to home plate was 45 feet. So at any rate, um, Cy Young's credited with the first uh, perfect game in Major League Baseball. And then finally, in 1961, uh, Alan Shepard uh, was the first American in space. Uh, he went up... Um, uh, 15 miles in altitude, uh, sorry, 116 miles in altitude for a 15-minute journey. There you have it. So an eventful week. Um, who better than to weigh in on uh, Tommy? A lot of stuff. I don't know where you want to go with this, Tommy. I heard you earlier this week. Uh, you were being interviewed, I think, with Milton Berg. Um, I think shortly thereafter, we had the Fed Day. We had a bevy of numbers, we had the Apple numbers, we had job numbers. I know you were talking about bad breath, uh, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, sentiment, the banks. So I don't know where you want to go with this, but there's certainly a lot to talk about. So um, I guess, Tommy, good to see you. I know we spoke earlier today. Um, what kind of stands out to you? The floor is yours, Tommy. Hey, uh, George, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been, um, to say the least, uh, volatile. Uh, this last uh, 10 days, um, the S&P has dropped 2%. It's gone up three and a quarter percent. It's dropped 3.3%. And today it's up, uh, up below a little over 2%. Uh, very, very difficult market to get things right. It's, uh, I don't know if you can hear that. It's an ambulance coming for me after this week. Um, <laughs> bottom line is it's been a very, very, it's been a difficult week for me. I, I can't say that, uh, I mean, I will say I had a long, I was long paramount. I still am. And uh, it really surprised me and uh, clipped a percent off my P&L, which uh, really was a surprise. I don't normally get that type of uh, reaction. Uh, so this market right now, I think, and, Look, it's it. You can talk about the market, and you can look at the indices, and you can look at the major ones, and say, "Oh, everything looks fine." But 
I don't necessarily agree that everything looks fine. Um, I think the participants in the market are in a state of denial with a lot of things. Uh, that's typically um, a fever, speculative fever type of thing. Um, there's been a lot of narratives I've heard um, regarding um, the economy, Fed, what they're going to do next. Um, you know, the banking crisis, which, um, you know, seemingly ended today. Uh, <laughs> I, I say that, but um, Monday could be a totally different thing. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, we have uh, resolution with the banks. Uh, they may be oversold. Uh, they, there's tradable bounces. There's a lot of people that are short uh, banks, uh, the regional banks. And so you're going to get uh, big, big moves like that. that that's um, you know, there's a lot of speculation um, if they're going to, you know, ban short selling, which I, I strongly would uh, be against, uh, not because I want to short these, uh, just because uh, in 2008, when they did this, uh, it didn't help things. Because one thing, uh, shorts are actually a natural buyer of stocks. So if there's fewer stock or fewer shorts out there uh, to buy on moves down, um, it, you could have a much deeper move. That's a that's a real risk. Um, uh, they just politicians don't understand that. They think it's it's shorts that are pressing things down, and I, I really I, I disagree with that. Um, but the bottom line is, um, I think people are ignoring some risks. Uh, we had Apple come out uh, with earnings, and um, you know this was the LeBron James perfect quarter, but um, under the surface they really didn't have great things to say. I think it was one of the um, weaker quarters that Apple's had in, in a while. Um, they beat estimates on certain things, and people will uh, pay attention to that. But there's negative growth happening right now with Apple, and that's, that's a concern for the largest company uh, when you see negative growth. Um, and they also uh, guided that uh, uh, this quarter they're in is going to be similar to the last one, which was down 3%. So it's, um, you know, there's a little bit of denial out there, and I understand that. Um, there's not a lot of shorts in this market as much as uh, people want to look at the COT data. I, I, I really discount that um, data a lot, and partly because I can look at prime brokerage data, which shows that uh, exposure is... Uh, still very net long. And you can also look at CTAs that have filled up the tank uh, 100% net long right now. And so I think that that's, um, th there, there's risk of something happening. Um, it's not here yet. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, and, uh, you know, like I, the Wall Street Journal, there's a, and I, I, I like this, um, this reporter, but there was a headline that says the bears have been proven wrong again. And usually when you see that type of thing, um, that's typically when you probably want to start looking at shorting, shorting things. So, um, you know, the narrative um, on a lot of different things, and I'll just blast through some things. Well, one thing um, I, I put together and I posted on Twitter and on my, on my site, um, the two, 2023 leaders and there's seven stocks um, you know, it's Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, um, 
I think it's Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Meta, Tesla, NVIDIA, um, Google. Those have um, in that in a basket has gone up 50% year to date. And, and last year it was down a little more than 50% um, for the year. But that's attributed uh, over 60% of the entire index attribution. So it's, um, you know, it's it, in many respects, um, I think the masking of what, what's going on overall in the entire market um, is, is different. I think it ended, um, I, and I will say the, the uh, RSP, the equal weight S&P, uh, it, it, we had a look, January was a legit short squeeze and position was, was way off, but the RSP peaked uh, January, excuse me, February 2nd, and it's down about eight and a quarter percent from that February high. So you're not seeing the, um, uh, the breath in the market uh, that I'd want to see. And I certainly don't want to be looking at, at financials and saying, oh, you know, it's a bull market. And you have the uh, KBE, which is the S&P. Um, it's a very more diverse, uh, or excuse me, more um, uh, balanced uh, look at the S&P financials index. And it's down uh, fairly significantly. It's down 14% below the 50-day moving average, which is, which is pretty severe. The, K, you know, the KRE is, is also down you know, like 18% below the 50-day. It's, it's really, really weak. Um, there and and you know it's like okay I get it Apple people look at it and say well it's safer than than you know putting your money in Apple is safer than putting your money in a, in a bank okay yeah maybe that's true uh, there's no growth um, I think AI the hype is getting a little much and it's getting overblown um, you know remember AMD came out with earnings and they were awful they were year over year declines across the board, except for expenses, which expenses went up. Um, stock got hit very hard. Um, yesterday, there was a fake story out that Microsoft was going to bankroll AMD's AI chip business. Uh, that was a fake story, but it moved the stock up, I think, 11%. Um, and it, the stock's actually holding up, which is bizarre. I actually, I, I was short AMD. I covered it on the on the uh, earnings and then um, added it back today. So, you know, we have a lot of people out there that are hoping for rate cuts. And I've said, we're not going to see any rate cuts in 2023 unless a few things. Um, I think 3,500 would probably get the markets or the Fed's attention. And if CPI, uh, you see a low three handle. I'm gonna, I, I thought, you know, three handle, I think is is probably um, opportunistic. The CPI next week actually is supposed to be flat month over month. And I wouldn't be shocked to see the core uh, stay real elevated, uh, 0.5. So that's that's a risk. Another thing, um, unemployment. I don't look at the non-farm payroll data as much as um, everybody else does, just because I think I see it as very volatile. Um, it's, it's very hard to... Um, to, I mean, I think it's overemphasized in the market. I look at the unemployment rate and at three point four percent, and you can take out and some of the funkiness of seasonality or the um, adjustments and such like that. But uh, it's still it's still too low for the Fed to do anything. I think you have to be at five percent for the Fed to make a move. 
Um, and then, you know, if there's some systemic risk uh, in the financials and it doesn't really look like, you know, we have that right now. Um, it looked pretty precarious um, two days ago. And that's just sort of the nature of how this market's been. You get one headline and things go up and one headline, things go down. Uh, and then if there's like, if the, let's say a macro, uh, geo macro event, something, you know, really bad happens with Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan. I mean, I don't, I'm not betting on that. Um, that's one thing. I, I don't think the, um, the debt ceiling is going to be, I think it'll be, it'll it get grinded. It'll grind it out. Uh, I don't think that uh, Yellen's uh, June 1st deadline is that actionable. I think it's, um, they're trying to get people to the table, but uh, I, I think that's uh, that's not that's not um, a, a real risk for me right now. But again, I'm seeing divergences um, in different technical things in the market. Uh, I mean, for example, the percentage of stocks above the 50-day moving average is actually making lower highs of, versus the indices that are moving higher. It's uh, above, you know, the S&P, the NASDAQ. The Russell is absolutely terrible. Uh, that's another thing uh, that I, I think that, you know, people look at it. I, I'd like to see, you know, good participation across the board, not just, you know, these seven stocks doing it. And it's not just that. I know it's people say, oh, it's not just that, Tom. But uh, the bottom line is, I, I think there's just, um, there, there's, a lot of risk out there still. I think people are ignoring the risk. Uh, I think people are glossing over uh, stories like Coinbase. Um, you know, the SEC is going to uh, sue them. There's a Wells notice. It's not going well, um, especially with uh, with Coinbase threatening to sue the SEC. And I, I think that's a real risk uh, as well. Um, that is something that uh, I'm, I'm short Coinbase. Um, so that's, that's one thing, but, you know, let's remember also, um, the CTAs, um, I think, um, uh, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Rubner was out talking about, um, uh, their full, uh, up, up to the brim long. And if we do see some downside, I think that's going to be, um, you know, there's $230 billion worth of CTA selling that could happen. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure exactly the right, that level. I would imagine it would be closer to 4,000 where they start to turn seller. I mean, they're absolutely um, sort of a joke in the sense where they just all trade together and um, sell together and, and buy together. And they, they seemingly uh, use the same levels. Um, and I, I don't know how they're making money, uh, honestly. So that's kind of it. I, I you know, the market's uh, proving me wrong uh, from the indice level. Um, I think what my message to a lot of people is that uh, that you just have to stay very nimble. Uh, I don't think that um, this is the time to take a lot of risk. Uh, the, the Fed is not going to cut rates, uh, especially with the the, the market, uh, you know, making new highs, uh, if we move to 4,200 or 4,500. Um, I, I, I see that as uh, a real risk that the Fed's going to, you know, continue to, uh, to tighten. And 
again, um, you know, let's, the, 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 you know, there's, there's one thing that um, I think if you go back and you look at history and, and you think, okay, what happened, what caused the Fed to uh, cut rates and go back to 2007? And they cut rates after the market was down uh, 12%. And they, they started in, um, in August of 2007. Uh, they cut rates again. That was an actual um, surprise cut as well. They were worried about the subprime getting worse. It, it sounds a little familiar to um, the bank situation we have today. But the market wasn't isn't down that much. It's actually um, stay, staying near the high. So I don't see the Fed, you know, doing any emergency. They did another rate cut in September, uh, and from that low uh, in August, uh, the market went up fifteen percent. And then they continue to you know uh, cut rates, but Bear Stearns blew up, and the market was already down um, about twenty percent. And they, they kept they kept going and it, it really just didn't it didn't help. Uh, so I think that the economy, there's a lot of positives in the economy right now. I, I think that the labor market is usually one of the last things to see um, roll over. But we're also dealing with something that's a lot different in the backdrop, which is inflation. And I, I think inflation is staying sticky. So that's where I'm at. Again, I um, oh, George, you there? I, Sorry about I, that. Yeah, I, I just think I think there's I think there's um, you know there there remains a lot of uh, trap doors out there in this in this tape, and uh, you know I'm you know I I knew that this year would be um, a lot more challenging, and it's it it makes it a lot more challenging when you see uh, narrow attribution that's taken the market higher with uh, with those names. And you look sort of foolish about it. But I feel pretty confident knowing um, through history of what happens with these types of things. Uh, and one other thing, um, just a little technical thing, and people know that I uh, used to mark indicators, uh, the VIX, um, with the VIX slam here on Friday, which seems to be a weekly event, uh, did get a DeMarc uh, sequential buy countdown 13. And the last few countdown 13s, um, worked pretty well for a bounce in the VIX. And I know the VIX is, is, is not as in vogue as it has been since everybody, all the cool kids are trading one day options or zero day options. Um, but I still think that that, that matters. Um, and we'll see you know, how that, that plays out. I think it's just um, a VIX in the, you know, the 16s, I think is, uh, is something to uh, be a little cautious about. So that's kind of it. Um, that, 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 that's terrific summary, Tommy, to kick things off. So, um, yeah, it's been a frustrating environment. I can, I can endorse that in spades. So I've, I've had a very, very hard year. Um, are there any particular sectors or um, themes uh, that um, you have strong conviction about or is evidenced by your comment earlier Sign it's, it's you have to stay stay nimble. Um, you don't you 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 you're not strongly convicted on anything right now. You're 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 looking at the market with wide eyes open. Yeah, I you know look, I I will say that um, you know I have some energy exposure. I trim some higher. Um, it, it that 
this week, you know, the volatility in crude, I think was, um, you know, that was a bit shocking the way, the way it traded overnight. Um, I, I, I think that there's a longer term, long idea or long trade in energy. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, the SPR is going to have to get refilled, uh, one of these days and um you know maybe maybe the biden administration will never refill it maybe they'll just um keep it at, at where it is um but i i think that they will have to refill it i think it's uh it, it's a bit irresponsible and that's you know when that happens i think that you're going to see a pretty strong move um you know one one other thing um regarding gold uh, I, i'm not necessarily a bull or bear on gold um I sort of looking look at it agnostically, um, but I will say that that what tends to happen is gold seems to be the um, go to. I have to own this because of X, and it could be the banking crisis, it could be you know inflation, it could be the dollar going down, uh, it can be all these different things. Uh, but one thing I do is I look at um, the daily sentiment index. Um, I tr- I chart them, and the Gold bullish sentiment uh, yesterday hit 87%. And it's hit, it's been above 90% a couple times in the last, uh, the last year, actually. Um, it, it hit 95 with Ukraine and it hit 92 um, another time. And, and every time that it's moved over 90%, uh, we've seen a pullback in, in, in gold. And I'm getting DeMarc signals that I'm close on gold. Um, GLD is on day 12 of 13. It needs a little bit of more upside. Silver uh, has exhaustion signals on the upside. Uh, and, and the thing is, is you have two different buyers in, in gold. You have the ones that are, you know, the Peter Schiff types that are always talking about gold and they love gold and it's the cure for everything. And then you have a lot of people that are touristy types that come in and usually they buy it. And if it doesn't work or moves down, they're pretty quick to sell. So I, I think that you have a lot of touristy types coming in right now uh, as, a, as looking for a safe haven. And in real bear markets, uh, gold doesn't really work. It does move down. Um, I mean, in, in sharp declines in liquidity markets, because People will sell, a fund will sell anything that's not nailed down that has liquidity and they'll, they'll use gold as well. So I, I think that's a risk. I, I'm not a Bitcoin person, uh, but Bitcoin uh, is, let's see, I'm just going to pull it up here. It's at 29.5 right now. It is on day 10 of 13 with um, an upside to mark uh, exhaustion signal. So it, you know, go, go back to, um, let's see, that's my Bloomberg there. Uh, on it was at fifteen six thirty, and you had a buy combo thirteen at fifteen six thirty, which was the low. Um, you had a sequential on. And this is back in November last year. You had a sequential buy buy countdown at fifteen six thirty three. So you know, the, I, I again, I don't really care about Bitcoin. Um, I don't trade it. But the DeMarc indicators have done a pretty good job spotting inflection points. So maybe this will be another inflection point. Um, it could, you know, we could see it, you know, maybe 3,200. I don't know.
So, so sorry, uh, you say thirty-two hundred. Yeah, I mean, that, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's my target. I'm just saying that uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see another move over three thousand. Um, and sorry, sorry did, did you mean 32,000? 30, oh, 30, sorry. sorry. So you're so one more move up and then a big down. That's what you're I, saying. I'm not saying big down. Um, you know, one thing a lot of people have. Um, you know, they, they sort of that don't use DeMarc indicators uh, is that when you get a DeMarc exhaustion signal, uh, you know, a lot of people think that it's, you know, 1987 is going to happen the next day. And that's not necessarily true. It, it basically is um, an exhaustion signal where it, if it's going up on the upside and you get it, it could move sideways uh, for a period of time. And just it just you're running out of buyers at these levels. And, and we actually did have um, an exhaustion signal uh, in January and it, it moved down uh, from, I think it was like, you know, nearly 24,000 It moved down to 2000 uh, from that signal. So it, it, it pulls, it, it can pull back. Um, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I think that again, like gold, I think you have people that are moving into this as a safe haven and to each its own. Um, if it works for you, great. I hope everybody makes, Lots of money um, if they're long, um, but uh, I'm just talking about the signals that I have. Got it, Tommy. Let's come back on financials. We'll get some questions in a, in a second from the mm -hmm. audience, but let's come back. Let's come back on financials, um, not just in respect of uh, the stocks themselves, whether you should be long or short financials. But obviously, depending on whether the elevator is going up or down, that casts a tone for the rest of the market. Um, are the financials investable? Uh, what do you think of the financials? I mean, they, you know, they've come down a ton. Um, would you do anything with them or you, you just ignore them? How do you think about the yeah, financials? You know what? Uh, I, I, first of all, I, I think that if you're, if someone's going to buy regional banks, um, you know, you're, you're really, you're, you know, look, PacWest was up 82% today. Um, you know, great. You know, it's still five, you know, under $6. Um, and you can get these, you know, incredible moves. Uh, I, I think if you're investing, uh, I think you want to look at, at some of the larger money center banks. Uh, I think you have a bunch. Uh, I, I think their businesses are going to slow. I think banks are not necessarily a great place where you want to be uh, if we do go into a recession, which I do believe we will. Um, that's just through history. Uh, but I think there's a move higher if some of the banking stress subsides. And, you know, look at Goldman, I think their, their book values, you know, closer to 300, a little, maybe a little over 300. It's 327. It seems to work if you can buy it at book and, um, and get a bounce. So you may get a bounce if banking stress subsides. Uh, but I do think that uh, they're going to be challenged. Um, I, I, investment banking is terrible. Um, I think lending is still, it's going to tighten. I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's a longer term uh, concern, but for bounces um, I, you know, I was looking at bank of America today. Um, I was looking at, you know, Goldman city, a few of these that um, Morgan Stanley was another one I was looking at today. Um, and, and those are what I'm watching as far as KRE, the, the there is a DeMarc uh, combo by countdown uh, from yesterday that triggered, you haven't had the sequential yet. So you, you, you could get that uh, in a day or two if we have a little bit, another down tick. So that's that's something that I'm watching. I just, I, I feel like, um, 
the the people in the market are just over eager to buy anything that's that's turning green and that that could be the trap door that um that happens and, and maybe it's just when things just fully exhaust and again you know i, I go back to the t- 2023 leaders this custom basket that i made um it, it's they've had a great run i've got demarc exhaustion signals um on the those Hello? are at risk of pulling back are you there yeah we're here can you hear me tommy i can hear you i can hear you so Good. that's kind of where i'm at I'm, I'm trying to navigate i don't have I, I, I honestly you just asked about conviction i don't have huge you know high conviction i have more conviction and i feel more comfortable being short than long um, with the current setup as much as uh, it may terrify people to think of shorting uh, the market today. I think it's a lot easier shorting it today than um, the, the, considering the move that we've had um, and where we are on the S&P and the NASDAQ. I think it's a lot easier um, going forward uh, from, from here, from these levels. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at. And, you know, I, and truth be told, um, I've had a I've had a poor call on indices, and I I admit that I've traded around um, positions in equities and ETFs that have made me money and kept me positive. Uh, and if the indices drop five percent, um, I'm quickly um, well in a doing much better than the S and P. So let's just put it that way. Thanks, Tommy. All right, we've got a great, uh, a great lineup here. People waiting to speak. Um, I'm just going to go in no particular order. Uh, Bobby J, then Cantro, then Danny, and then not uh, Tiger Global. Bobby J, good to see you. What's up, Mike? Hey, George. I just have a quick question. We're heading over to your side of the river tonight. Um, for for Tom, uh, yesterday. Uh, Key Corp preferred, I think they might have touched 10%. And I think the senior five-year paper um, might have, uh, I think it traded down briefly to a $73 price uh, and an 11% yield. Uh, when I think of preferred trading at 10, 11, uh, or 12% bank preferred, I think of Security Pacific, which I'm sure you remember. Uh, that was kind of the last call in preferred land when that got up to 11 or 12 percent. But there's nothing like a widening of uh, bank spreads to get um, the Fed's attention. Um, I'm looking at the S&P preferred stock index. I think it's down something like 12 uh, percent over the, the last year. Uh, we've been talking about high yield spreads. They've been firm. They're not blowing out. We, we've been talking for a year about duration risk over credit risk. But I think uh, bank paper widening is something um, that is very concerning. Not, not yet, but um, it, it, this is too early in terms of the uh, slowdown cycle t- to see these kind of spreads on on bank paper i wonder if tom has any thoughts on that we have two risks there um 
I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the same uh, preferred. It, it, it closed at 1686. Is that the preferred? I mean, I. Yeah, it, yesterday I think it traded yeah. down to 14. Yeah, um, that's it. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, you, you can. I, I'd probably. I. I mean, here. I'd probably want to be uh, a buyer of the preferreds uh, over the 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 common stock. Um, you know, at the at this point, um, I, I I think that's that that makes a little bit more sense if you're going to speculate. But if you look at the chart of KeyCorp or the preferreds, um, it 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 looks, you know, you know, Acapulco cliff dive type type of move here. So it, it is there's risk, um, but you know there's there's the risk reward if if they can you know, pull themselves together. I think that, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I, I'm not, you know, I, I will tell you, I, um, I, I, my first bank was at security Pacific bank. Um, I had my money in, when I was a kid, uh, in California, but, uh, you know, look, I, 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 I think that a lot of these, um, you know, you're dealing, anytime you're, you're dealing with any of these regionals, um, you're dealing with, you know, super high risk and, um, you know, you go back to 2008, and I wasn't a financials trader, but my financials trader sat next to me. Um, I, I those preferreds, um, you know, we were long, we we bought preferreds, um, and they certainly paid off okay. Um, but it's you know essentially, you know, a bond. That's what you're you're getting here. Um, so it's 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 higher, you know, it's high risk. I think there's other people on here that could probably speak better about that but um you know looking at the preferred the way it traded today um it certainly is well off of its high so i, I that's not necessarily a, a great sign um at all i mean I, I i would rather see you know a little bit more stability uh in these names uh before i jump into some of the individual names um within the uh within the the uh regionals that's that's it's my, I'm a risk adverse person. So I would, uh, I'd rather be, you know, buying something like KRE, uh, gives you some more diversification. Um, and I'm, I'm getting a little better signal. So, but look, it, it, I'm looking at what you're looking at. The yields are, are sky high. Um, you know, could they suspend their, their, uh, their, their dividend? Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe the, they could. So I don't know. Thanks. Hey, Bobby, let me ask you, as you watch uh, credit spreads a lot, you're the, you're the credit guy. Um, what are the credit, how are the credit markets speaking to you about um, how near or far away a recession is? Because spreads have been relatively uh, well-behaved. No, they are well-behaved, but I do, I do think that the default rates are going to double starting later uh, this year. And we should see a climb to maybe four or five percent in terms of default rates. So I think that's a 24, 25 event. Uh, but I think it's what's much more concerning is that if I look at the top 25 banks and if if I were to see, uh, you know, I go through it and see regions, key bank, uh, PNC, uh, Capital One, if I start seeing that subordinated debt or prefers on on those 
banks going to double digits, I know there's going to be a Fed meeting over this. I know there's going to be a Treasury Fed meeting. And then they're going to bring in the usual uh, board members that are from the street. And they're going to be very concerned about that. So we're... Hey, hey Bobby, I got, I got a question for you. Um, there's a lot of talk. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of talk about uh, getting Congress to put together some sort of, um, I don't know if you call it a backstop, but FDIC insurance, you know, to basically say, you know, we're going to, we will back all deposits um, maybe for a period of time. Uh, just to kind of calm the markets, uh, calm the capital flight. Uh, I know that that would be a pretty, unless, you know, you have some real, you start to see some go down hard um, and, and and go under, uh, I think you're going to have a tough time getting that through Congress. Do you have any thoughts on no, that? No, I, I think, I, I know it would be a tough time getting that through Congress. And as a matter of fact, there are some issues that, um, with the takeover uh, of Silicon Valley Bank by J.P. Morgan, that kind of uh, breaks some of the rules on deposit market share. Even before this, I think J.P. Morgan might have thirteen percent of total deposits in the country. I have to go back and look, but I know they have almost thirty percent. So I think um, the regard for rules, and if you look at even subordinated. Um, bailouts, how they treat, um, how they treated things differently between Lehman and Bear Stearns. Um, I, I, I do think if we do see these spreads widen, that they, they will make an attempt to, to back those um, deposits. I don't know if it, I can't speak as to what the congressional reaction would be, but um, I do think that they would attempt to do that if um, we see subordinated debt or I'm sorry, senior bank debt um, trading uh, in double digits. I, I think that really would scare the shit out of them. Thanks, Bobby. Um, yeah, one thing, one yep. thing also, the, um, the uh, First Republic, um, you know, with J.P. Morgan uh, buying them or basically taking it over, um, FDIC wasn't involved. I mean, they, I mean, they didn't. They didn't have to backstop the the the, um, the deposits, whatever still there. Um, so that that's one thing. Um, finding a buyer for some of these others, I think, is going to be um, a real challenge. And uh, that that to me, I think, is is um, you know you, you have J.P. Morgan, City, uh, Morgan Stanley, Goldman. You have others that that have the potential to you know friendly a little friendly ask you know will you take over this bank um we'll make the deal nice for you but right. uh, assume the the deposits um, I, yeah the way they handle um failures today is much different as you remember from the savings and loan crisis and and the late 70s you know we had something like um uh 2000 uh, institutions fail and that team of you know bill isaac william sideman uh, Volcker, they really had a process for handling uh, failed institutions. I mean, look how many they processed. Um, today, there seems to be um, a lot more politics in the uh, in the decision making, and um, that's it, it. It 
there doesn't seem to be a consistent process. And again, I go back to Lehman and Bear Stearns uh, and AIG. These these were kind of um, a lot of improvisation uh, rather than uh, sticking to the sheet music. Thanks for that, Bobby. Let's bring Cantor into the conversation. Uh, he's got his hand up. Cantor, good to see you. Uh, take it away. Well, yeah, I was just going to add to what Tommy said, and I think Bobby Jake uh, just kind of alluded to it, right? If you bring in politics, it gets political. And you know, we would think any any kind of bank guarantee, given the very divided government right now and deposits, one party, and I'm, I'm not looking to get political, but one party would definitely look to tack on to that more bank regulations, uh, clawbacks on executive compensation. There was actually a hearing about this yesterday uh, to the latter. So, you know, to just th things would have to get a lot worse to get everyone to um, be forced to do something. But, you know, I think we have to realize to, to Bob's point is that the political uh, issues are massive, you know, even even mergers. Right. Uh, the administration is not very merger friendly. We just saw a merger get untangled. So that that also, again, there's just there's, there's all these disincentives for banks to help out other banks and just let them go to receivership and um, take take it on the cheap. So um, there's no easy solution given uh, given that backdrop. Cantor, as long as you're up, um, do you want to weigh in on uh, anything else that's top of mind for you? And, and if not, we can go on to uh, Danny. But anything else you'd like to talk about right now, Cantor? Um, I mean, I think the underlying market's just a sloppy mess. Um, you know, when, when I, I don't even like using the word the market, right? Because everyone's obviously referring to the S&P or the NASDAQ, which, you know, have, have done great because you've seen this broad-based rotation into good quality stocks with good fundamentals, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's taken place in every sector and every benchmark. Um, but if we look at the last six months, We've literally gone nowhere on the S&P equal weighted is basically flat, mid caps are flat, small caps are down, and risk has just gotten, you know, the risk, the absolute performance of risk strategies or certainly the risk, the sharp ratios of risk strategies have just gotten pummeled. Um, and it's not just in the last six, eight weeks because of the banking issues. So, yeah, I, I think we're in this slow motion train wreck into recession um, you know, I know a lot of people are very short term focused. Uh, someone tweeted or responded to a tweet. I said, no, the, the bear, the bear case took a big hit today. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think that's a great example of that. You know, the payrolls data today told us nothing. Um, you know, the, it's the trends in these data that tell us where we're going, not the day to day noise. And again, with the way I look through the markets, which is in a, a, long, a longer time horizon than most, uh, I, I think it's, you know, we're just getting closer and closer and closer uh, to a to, to recession. Uh, but ultimately, claims will govern the, uh, you know, to, uh, credit spreads. You know, why aren't credit spreads up? We've been hearing that for a year because you haven't lost jobs yet. But if you look at historically, when claims start to move, and they're slowly moving, and they always start off slow, and they move move more rapidly. That's when spreads bottom. So if we look at the S and P today and say, "Look, the S and P is at forty one and change," well, we, we've been there a few times now in the last month or last four months. Uh, we're at the highest credit spreads in any of those points. Um, 
small caps are and the breadth of the hell, the breadth of the S and P 500 is worse today than the last three times we were at these levels. So, you know, again, to talk about the market, I get it is one thing, and maybe some, maybe a lot of people do trade the the indices, and that's that's fine. And if you own them, that's great. Um, but for most institutional investors, and I think you know a, ha- a lot of other investors, you know, they're looking to buy stocks and uh, are not enjoying the benefits of you know a handful of growth stocks that have lifted the the broader indices. So the story continues. Um, I don't think we're melting down tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be a function of jobs. Let that be your governor. And um, you know, the, the, high, uh, the NFIB report also came out yesterday, and the trend in that data uh, is also continuing to tell us the same message. So, hey, Cantor, are there any real incredible anomalies right now, or is it just kind of a, a sloppy mess? I mean, is there anything like really sticking out to you within the market? Yes. Um. Anything sticking out? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, last year was, you know, against the backdrop of rising rates. Um, you made you made the call, you know, that uh, we were in a, we were in a valuation compression market and the long duration, high, highly valued stocks were sticking out like a store, sore thumb and got slammed. OK, is there anything comparable either by sector style factor, which is really anomalous to you right now? Uh, anomalous? No. Um, when we look at, under, you know, we look at the deepest level of underneath the surface of the markets um, at, at the factor level, everything that's been going, you know, everything peaked on, on you know, February 2nd, you know, beginning of the year through February 2nd was the was the no landing rally where everyone just bought junk and you know, re- repositioned into all the stuff they sold during the tax law season or tax selling season. Um Everything, I would say, the markets have broadly peaked on February 2nd, uh, and that's a fact. Most stocks peaked and are well off those highs uh, from Feb 2nd. Credit, same thing. Um, is anything anomalous? I, again, if, if you're looking at the S&P and thinking that represents the, 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 sum, the, the, the parts, then I would say that's anomalous. But uh, again, it makes sense what's been going on in terms of this rotation um, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, so this year, you know, I'd say what's changed very, very clearly is that bad data is now bad data. Good data is now good data. And today's an attestant, you know, again, a testament to that today's again, noise. It's one data point, but you know, we had a good jobs number quote with, with a quotes around that because, you know, we'll see what the revisions tell us in a month. But, uh, since March, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, we've had positive correlations between stock prices and bond and bond yields, uh, and that that remains true through today. Uh, and, and that's that's why better economic data will be seen with higher yields and perhaps higher stock prices, like today. But it also means the opposite is true as well. And you know, everything I look at points to uh, the trend in, in the deterioration of the data continuing to the downside. So that means bad data is now going to get punished where last year that wasn't the case because we had negative correlations, lower bond yields meant higher stocks. That's not the case anymore. That's great. Thanks. Hey, Michael, Michael, I've got a question. It seems, um, you know, bad data is sort of what the, um, the markets have sort of wanted. They, they, they've wanted, um, weaker data, um, which, 
will point towards um, this ever hopeful uh, the Fed will pivot and start to cut rates. Um, what's what data? I mean, I and I, I agree with you a hundred percent on how you are seeing the, the data. But what what data points um, are you watching closest? Uh, because we've, we have, you know, the, the manufacturing ISM has been, you know, sloppy and not great. Uh, some others haven't been so great. Um, but w- which one, like maybe give me up to three that you're watching that's going to, that will get the Fed to take notice and get a little bit more concerned. What, what triggers are you watching? There's three things that make the Fed cut crisis credit and claims and neither, n- none of those three things are clearly problematic enough uh given the fed's view of the current inflation backdrop so uh, you know usually it's claims that are driving uh that cause the fed to cut rates um, and when claims rise Again, sustainably, we're talking about, you know, when they start moving higher rapidly, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, that's when you get credit spreads to move in lockstep with that story. Uh, and I think it's, you know, I think we're on our way there. It's just, you know, it's, again, it's slowly first and then quickly after. Um, but the reason that bonds and stock prices have been positively correlated uh, for the last two months and that bad data is now bad is because we no longer are pricing in rate hikes. The fuel for periods when markets go up, when the Fed's done, is because bond yields peak. And markets pr- go from pricing in rate hikes to rate uh, to, to, to basically no more rate hikes and eventually rate cuts. We're already there. So I've actually seen a bunch of strategists that have ha- had notes on, hey, look, when the Fed's done, the markets rally. Well, in the eyes of the, the markets, that started in October and has lasted through basically, you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, the last maybe the last couple of months. I'd say February second was the end of that, broadly, and the rotation we've seen since then, massively into mega cap, um, everything, not just tech. You know, uh, every all eleven sectors have seen larger companies beat smaller companies, all size and style indices, from large growth to small value, same thing. So. The issue here is that we've already priced in uh, a pivot and rate cuts. So that means that bad data is bad data for, for equities. Thanks, Michael. That's great. Please hang around if your schedule allows. We've got some other terrific uh, folks who join the conversation. Let's go to Danny uh, and then not Tiger Global. Danny, good to see you. What's up? George, good to see you. Thanks for uh, pulling me up here. And Thomas, nice to see you. Cantro, everybody. Um, I'm uh, I'm kind of new to all this. So first, I want to start by saying I appreciate um, your space, George, and uh, getting to glean from all you guys. Um, so my question is two parts, but not long. Um, and either Thomas or George, anyone could take this. What is your interpretation of fed chairman powell's comments this week his comments and replies and then my follow-up would be what would you guys say to the 35 and younger or whatever age crowd who didn't live through recessionary periods um 
and who seem to be uber bullish on the market, even now, um, considering what to me appears to be under the hood uh, isn't isn't really great. Um, and that's all I got. And thanks, guys. I'll mention something. Uh, well, first of all, I, I learned uh, I, I tried to during my you know early stages of my career and and even today I, I ask uh, people that have been through you know certain periods of you know what what was it like you know what did you do what you know and I and I study a lot of history I look back I'm gonna you know do a lot of charts uh, I look back at what was happening at certain periods and um, I, I think that there's there's a problem that always happens and it's the uninformed unexperienced uh, people seem to get hurt the most when uh, things move towards recession I mean we really haven't had a recession in you know over a decade that is you know other than the COVID thing uh, period which was which was really not really a recession but it um, it's important to look back and see what happened uh, what people did uh, what the policy moves were, uh, how stocks reacted, how bonds reacted, what what was happening in credit, uh, what was going on as far as defaults and uh, companies going under. Um, this has been a, you know, we've had a decade of low interest rates, uh, ultra low interest rates, emergency rates uh, for most of the decade. And, um, people are accustomed to that and they, they there's so many people uh even some experienced people you can see it on twitter a lot where they just are begging for the fed to come in and do something and you know the, the when the fed does come in uh, i think michael could um agree uh it's usually um it's, it's not necessarily the end of the crisis it's usually when uh things are starting to get real ugly um that's that's basically basically it. Sandra? Yeah, no, I'd, you, I'd, I'd agree with everything Tom Tom just said. And uh, to to add to that, and to go back to the question he asked me earlier about when when's the Fed going to cut? What's going to trigger them? If the Fed's cutting because of employment, which is the my def, you know, I think the definition of a recession. At the end of the day, um, what are banks doing? They are aggressively tightening lending standards. So, you know, what people don't realize is that usually when, well, every time when the Fed's cutting, uh, certainly on the onset of a recession uh, or in a recession, financial conditions are tightening and, and the markets are going down. Um, I agree with everything else uh, Tommy just said. Um, what I, I'm 41, so, um, I, you know, I was, I was working during the last recession, uh, but was still pretty young and inexperienced. What I find really fascinating and interesting is, you know, we can all look back at charts and, and we should. Um, I would buy myself a New York Times subscription or a Wall Street Journal subscription and look at the articles in late October, November, December of 07 or uh, summer of 2000 or summer uh, fall of 1990. And what you will see is the same exact narratives of it's different this time, different situations, but the same exact stuff you will find back then as you are seeing today, particularly around the jobs data. Um, there's a great chart Mike Green published I retweeted 
that you see the worst revisions at inflection points in the economy, both in a recovery and a downturn. And so we had some pretty good jobs numbers in, in late 07, even in early 08. Um, and then they all got revised much lower. Um, same thing in a recovery. So uh, I think the psychology aspect, again, as an investor, it's, you know, it's, not, it's a social science. It's not a science. Otherwise, it'd be a lot easier if it was a science. Uh, is, is, to, is to do as much digging on psychology and human behavior because that is the only constant across every single cycle. Thank you, Cantrell. And I, I'll rest after this. It's sort of funny you mention that because just today even an, an article came out by actually a journalist that I've, I've worked with when the Signature Bank thing was going on and uh, sort of mocking, saying uh, the stock market bears keep being proven wrong. And I have friends posting underneath this uh, tweet, you know, 500% gains and stuff like that. So I really love that you just said that, Cantro, because, uh, and I'm going to do exactly what you recommended, too. Thank you. Thanks, and, uh, <laughs> if, if you guys don't mind, just a quick comment, if you didn't mind, on a quick interpretation of, because it seems people heard different things, like almost what they wanted to hear from Powell, if you don't mind. Thank you. You could drop me down, George. Thanks, Danny. All right, let's go to uh, Not Tiger Global and then uh, Michael Kramer. Not Tiger Global. Josh, how you doing? How you doing, guys? How are you, George? Tom Cantor, everybody. Good to see you guys. Good to talk. Uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a fun year, to to, to say the least, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that if all of these banks' customers were not backstopped, I don't, I don't know if we would be at near forty two hundred right now. I think, um, and like Cantro said, hundred percent, we've front ran a rate cut which typically means that buying the first rate cut is, is, is a fool's errand. Um, and I, I see it on like Twitter and, and from people I talk to who've only really experienced uh, the equity markets for, you know, three, four years. And they're like, well, if they cut, you know, we're going to go higher. Well, that's not really how it works. Right. Cause if you're entering a severe contraction, right. Um, the first rate cut is a sign that things are about to get significantly worse. Um, and like what Cantor said about bank lending, I think he put out a good chart on this that I retweeted. Um, uh, you know, every cycle when banks start to tighten credit, it never ends well. It might not be a straight line down, but when shit hits the fan, it hits the fan. And it starts in autos and it has already started in autos. Uh, so, um, I'm pretty I'm pretty bearish on a lot of car dealerships and just the the auto space in general. Um I think that's not where you want to be. <laughs> it's very cyclical, right? I mean, you don't you don't have to do a lot of brain surgery there. Um but yeah, I mean, look, like uh, in general, it's it's actually been quite a quite a good year for me and you know, I, I've actually had contemplations of of actually taking a back seat for the back half of the year, but I think there's some unfinished business with some certain names that uh, I've been very vocal about. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's probably not going to happen. I you know I can't g give up my day job even if it's only for a short period of time, at least half a year. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Tom mentioned Coinbase. Uh, I've 
chatted with him offline about it a lot. I've chatted with George about it offline a lot. Uh, obviously, the stock's up today um, quite a bit. Uh, the volatility, or at least the implied volatility heading into the Q1 print was extremely elevated, um, especially right before they were about to report. Uh, I think it was as high as like a 500 vol. So it's not abnormal to get like a vol crush rally like this. Um, so uh, the only reason why they really beat the quarter was because of um, altcoin trading, which has a higher take rate than Bitcoin and Ethereum. And on this interest income, that's not very sticky. And there's a lot of fishy stuff going on in there that has very little of disclosure. And, uh, you know, arguably their a relationship there is not going to last forever. Um, and... Uh, there's also very little clarity on the specifics of the arrangement, but that's 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 neither here nor there. I don't want to make this a crypto space because I know George has opinions on that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I just want to give my two cents. Uh, you know, these are some smart guys up here, uh, a lot more seasoned than I am. Uh, but uh, I I'm I'm honored that they want my opinion on certain things. So it's great to hear from them. Hey, thanks, Josh. Please, please hang there. I'm sure there'll be a lot more questions. Yeah. Thanks for that. Let's go to Michael Kramer. Michael, good to see you. What's on your mind? Hey, hey, George. Uh, thanks for letting me jump on. I just wanted to ask more of a, a question uh, and get a group consensus here. Um, you know, I keep hearing people, uh, number one, talk about, you know, needing to de ensure deposits, you know, increasing the limits and everything. But, you know, how much of this flight of deposits really has to do with, you know, fear of the banks versus or the bank where you have your money versus just looking for higher. And, you know, if whether or not uh, they actually increase the insurance doesn't mean that the flight will stop because, again, banks aren't really paying anything on checking and savings accounts or you know, money market accounts. But so they're going to just swap into the higher rate product. Right. So what is insuring or increasing the insurance really going to do to improve the situation? Uh, and I'm just, maybe I'm just not thinking about it the right way. Well, I, I, I would say, I mean, it would certainly go, you know, incremental step in the right direction would, would provide some confidence broadly. You know, is it going to solve the issue of people moving money into uh, money market funds and treasuries while the rates are more attractive? Nothing's going to stop that. So, so then, so then, why even go through the process of raising those deposit, you know, those limits? I mean, I think that most people are fully aware of what they are when they put their money in a bank, and you know, the problem here is that you have an inverted yield curve, a steeply inverted yield curve. And I just don't see how that changes until, you know, the banks increase their deposit rates. And not only that, but I mean, deposits have grown tremendously over the last few years. And how much of that is, um, you know, how much of the money moving around is just people trying to be opportunistic? And in terms of the broader market, I think when you just look at how the market moves on a daily basis, there's just way too much liquidity in the overall system you know, with over $2 trillion a day still going into the repo facility. So, I, I mean, when you look at this, you just say to yourself, my God, the Fed still has so much more work to do. That's just my general opinion on the topic. 
Michael, I think you're spot on with the banks. I mean, you know, well, it, it becomes it becomes you know, and it be, it's it's now a game of you know profitability and picking winners and losers because yeah, as long as yields are higher elsewhere and uh, banks are going to be faced with the decision to you know um, give up some net interest margin to maintain deposits, you know, some market share versus profitability. Um, but it you know it doesn't. Cantro, you're breaking up on us. Michael, can you Cantro? Michael, can you hear him? No, I can't. And the one other thing still I wanted have, to ask as well. Hey, hey, Cantro, you still have the, the broader issue of where the economy's heading. Um, Cantro, Cantro, can you wind back thirty seconds? We, we you kind of dropped out on us. I don't know. I think he's in the matrix. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, just one more point. Um, you know, we're waiting for this, you know, survey of, of lenders and, and, you know, the tightening of credit. So what's interesting is that if you look at the, the, the survey of, of lenders and then you look at the, you know, the big move up in the commercial industrial loans and the willingness and everything, it's interesting because the Chicago Fed has this, you know, weekly index that comes out for financial conditions. And they have like a little subcomponent if you really dig through all the line items that measures a similar sort of metric or the same metric almost on a weekly basis. And when you run the two charts together, what they actually suggest is that lending standards or, or conditions around it have actually eased rather dramatically since the last survey at the end of January. Now, that could be wrong, but if that relationship you know, remains constant, which it's been since 2006, we may be further away from credit tightening that everyone than what everyone's expecting. What's that specific series called? So you know the slew that everyone's talking about. No, I know, um, I know, I know. Yeah, I know exactly that. I'm saying, what's the what's the? So if you go into the Chicago Fed National Financial Conditions Index on the Bloomberg terminal, and you go into that economic page, there are all of those. They have all these different risk metrics. I'll post a chart of it later. But they have all these different metrics, and under credit and leverage. They, they have those, you know, similar sort of metrics like surveys of of uh, of lenders uh, for, you know, commercial industrial loans of large and mid-sized businesses. And what that shows is that, you know, and, and it looks and it overlays almost perfectly with the New York Fed numbers. And when you look at that number, it shows that in January, when there was that big increase in lending standard in the tightening credit, tightening of credit, it shows the continuation of that almost that it actually shows a lot of easing and that there hasn't been any tightening of lending standards since that uh, the, I'll, I'll post it and I'll sh I'll share it with you later. Yeah. I was, I was curious what, what that specific series you mentioned, because a, I'd find that extremely hard to believe B, you know, if you look at mortgage spreads as a proxy uh, that do a pretty phenomenal job at leading the data too. um, I mean, right. most, I don't know if it's like an interbank, is it like an interbanking kind of, like um, a, Just give me, give me five minutes. I won't go anywhere and I'll look for yeah. it and then I'll chime back and I think, in. And I thought Powell pretty much explicitly said, it sounds like he already saw it, uh, that, that that's going to get tighter. And then there's another, uh, I don't know if it's from the Dallas Fed, they came out with theirs already and it got a lot tighter. Um, somebody tweeted it on, uh, on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago. 
Yeah, I'm logging in. I'll, I'm going to find so it. So I would just, yeah, it, it, it sounds like what, what you may be referring to, and again, I could be dead wrong, is something more of a market rate between banks that it may fit, but... It doesn't, yeah. That's why I'm asking. I, I'm just curious. That's true, Michael. See if you can, see if you can find it. Uh, in the meantime, Michael, do you want to weigh in on the market or do you want to go find the data you're talking about? Oh, I, I can do both at the same time if you want. Yeah, why, 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 don't you, why, why don't you put your two cents in about the market and then we'll get to your point in here. Um, um, so generally speaking, the market has just become a giant casino. Um, today was nothing more, to my opinion, than, you know, it was it started off as a, you know, a, a, a one day volatility crush index with the, the VIX one day going from 23 to tw- uh, 12 at the opening which led to that big moonshot opening. And then you had basically the zero DTE crowd show up at, you know, one thirty on the nose and they started just buying calls and driving everything up into the final hour. I mean, the market to me has just become a casino and it's, it's not, it's not really resemblance of, of what a true market is. Um, I, and it's, it's frustrating. It's tiring. It's, um, you know, I was doing a, a call today with my subscribers and they were like, when is the market finally going to trade on fundamentals? And I'm like, well, it is. It's telling you that the market isn't worth more than 19 times, you know, the S&P at least 18 and a half to 19 times earnings because that's where it always stops. And then, uh, you know, on the downside, it's somewhere around 17. And, you know, I I, I think that the S&P is basically top out at 4200 I don't really think there's much more room to go beyond that just because the call wall's been there for for weeks and you know basically every time you get up to that level you have you know um, you have you know basically market makers turning against you know the S&P overall and that's just kind of keeping a lid on it fair enough why don't you go find what you're looking for please please hang around I'm sure there'll be some follow-up questions okay Let's go to uh, Deerpoint. I suspect, good to see you. I suspect you have some thoughts, Deerpoint, about uh, we're talking discussing banks before. Uh, so the floor is yours, Deerpoint. Are you there? Yeah, thank you, George. And uh, I hope all's well. It's good to see you again. Um, I mean, yeah, things have been very interesting. Uh, I actually had a podcast today with with Tony Nash um, where we were kind of discussing the, the banking sector. But, you know, there, there's some things that I think are interesting. One, I'll take maybe a non-consensus view. Um, Long term, I, I think that, you know, where some of these banks are, they're extremely healthy. So I think that it's time to, uh, you know, some of these banks I, I still think are, are very attractive. Um, obviously, they've gotten, you know, absolutely hammered. But some things that I was looking at, um, I, I posted something today on uh, kind of looking at, you know, loans, uh, bank loans and, and deposits. Um, and I'll just post it in the nest so people can kind of see if we actually look at, you know, overall deposits relative to loans, um, you know, banks have built in aggregate a, a massive base. Um, and so I, I think that if we're to look at what has happened, uh, Michael Green actually had uh, made this point a couple of days ago, and I, I broadly agree with him. Um, and that's that, you know, what could banks have owned over the last 14 years? What could banks have owned over the last 14 years that would allow them to pay, you know, 4% on deposits? Um, and I think if we're to look at where we are today, you know, deposit elasticity or, or the beta um, has become much stickier than it has in previous cycles. And so therefore, um, you know, I, I think that this is, 
something that a lot of them can't avoid. And so it's kind of, I guess the question is now, how do they plug the bleed? So, um, dear point, are you still there? So come back on the question that you posed about what banks could have owned over the last 14 years. What did would have been able to pay for 4%? Where, where were you going with that? To your point? Where the heck he went? I think we lost him. All right. Hopefully he'll come back. Um, Got it. All right, let's go to uh, AJ while we wait for uh, Deer Point to show up. AJ, good to see you. What's up? Floor's hey, good. George. Thank you for having me up here. Great to see you, brother. Um, a lot of the same sentiment um, that I'm agreeing with. Hey, Cantra, if you don't mind, I loved uh, just referencing one of the charts that he posted a couple of days ago where he identified, um, you know, in every industry, right, large cap or large um, stocks versus small cap stocks that are that are like diverging. Right, utilities, uh, consumers, financials, tech. Obviously, um, obviously, I think that sentiment's going to continue, as as Michael's also saying, where uh, the, the companies that have more access to capital, more liquidity, more ability to to withstand these headwinds, um, they're going to be able to navigate this market better, right? And you might not see the returns on on the other stuff. Um, something else that I noticed, a stat came out for the first five days of of, of uh, May. There's already been they're already seeing a large compression on uh, the car indexes in terms of um, people basically making deals, right? So you are, again, it's only five days into May. So it's very early to tell versus a previous months. But we all notice that that's an up and down uh, cyclical thing. But, you know, you're already seeing the tightening occurring there with vehicles. Um, and, you know, people usually like cars and houses and food are usually the first three things that like, you know, you know people still tend to want to spend money on or, or, or navigate whatever funds they have left to support that, right? So, um, you know, I, I'm paying attention to that, George. I want to see how that index keeps moving, that Anheim. Um, I'm also paying attention to the TGAs. I'm also paying attention to mortgage-backed securities, which I really think they have to start selling off more. They really have it. And that's obviously creating this this lag. And and people keep asking why are, are home builders hitting new all-time highs when everything else is showing divergence. And Cantro has also said this many times, there's a lag, right? I think I don't think you'll see that through the system. Uh, for at least six to 12 months from now. And, you know, there's still lending going. I don't know how they'll do now. I just think you you might see that effect into Q4, is my opinion. So those are the few things I'm watching, George. I'll just keep it short and let everybody else talk. Um, thank you. Thanks very much. Here. Thanks very much, AJ. Okay, let's go to... Uh... Oh, sorry. Can I just jump in, George? I shared that yeah. chart with you. Okay, is it? Is it? Uh, did you put it in the nest? I don't know how yeah. to do that. I, oh. I could do that if you want. I sent um, it to you. I, I tagged you guys on it. All right. Is it is it on your timeline? It's on I, my time. Yeah, AJ, if you could throw it up in the nest, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. okay let's so, let's. Um, sorry. Go ahead. Hey. Yeah. So um, let me do, just make sure my Wi-Fi is on. Uh, I put it up there. You go ahead. You can talk to me, brother. So. Look, I, I see the chart here. Um, I just don't know. I've never. What is that? Is that is that real data? You know, sometimes. In, yeah. Is, and is that showing up in? I'm I'm looking on the website right now. Where is that data on the website? Uh, it's coming from Bloomberg. The Chicago um, Fed National. I mean, it looks like they're referencing, like you know, like when, when you pull up sometimes like the LEI data, like the leading the yeah. conference board's leading index. It'll be they have in Bloomberg like leading index for average work week which is a yeah. separate ticker for average workweek data, or you can actually pull up the raw data 
and sometimes you get some funky stats when when the you're trying to pull in a future date where there's no data yet for and the fact that it goes to zero kind of that's what happens in bloomberg uh this weird quirk they have um, yeah I, and that's why i was looking at it that and, is i mean but it you can see though that the data series goes on beyond no the, I, I get i get that i i just is that quarterly data it looks like it's monthly. No, this is I mean, weekly weekly that's data. why i'm just totally i mean based yeah. on this well, before uh before i comment what what i I'll, I'll I'll dig in to see what what's up with that. That 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 would be certainly wouldn't make much sense. But uh, no, let me, let me dig I'm, in, and that's why I'm asking because I I you know I was I like to look at the chart. I look at this index on a regular basis, and I'm what, always digging through it. What's the ticker? For, the ticker's on there. Oh, the ticker's on there. Okay, I'll uh, yeah. you guys continue. I'll, I'll dig in and see what I find. Okay, thanks. Okay, let's go now to um, – hold on. I'm trying to keep track of who's where here. Let's go to uh, Let's go to Michael Norensberg. Michael, good to see you. What's up? George, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I uh, love this few spaces. Um, I just want to entertain the possibility of there being an actual equity crash later this year because if I, I saw a chart today where I couldn't believe it that there was almost a 0% chance – of the Fed staying higher for longer. So what if inflation starts heating up? What if all these low inventories actually, and the busy restaurants and everything else, um, push, uh, we start getting hot prints again? Um, they're going to keep raising, aren't they? Yeah, I don't, I don't think too many folks have it on their dance card that we're going to see further increases, but... Um... There's been a lot of noises lately. What about this number? What about that number? And so, um, yeah, that's certainly not in the market. I mean, and I'll, I'll defer to uh, Cantor, actually, but I think the market's already discounted rate cuts. Um, Cantor, what's your take on that? All right. Well, I think I have the answer uh, from Michael. Uh, I wasn't listening, George. Sorry, so, but I could. Um, so it looks like that data is bad data. Um, if you, uh, Michael, if you go in Bloomberg... Uh, on that data, and apologize for everyone who's maybe listening and not seeing it or hearing this. Um, if you pull up the data and look at the, the description, so they take weekly data. And so what that data is, it's the week-over-week week change in data that hasn't changed. So they're taking the quarterly senior loan officer survey, okay, which hasn't come out since January or February, and they're, and they, they're, they're continuing to hold the data constant until they backfill it. So, okay. Michael, what, what you're going to see is you're going to see a rapid change in that data that is going to, if, if it gets tighter, that, that whole line is going to disappear. Right. Okay. That's what, I'm, that's what gotcha. I'm trying to figure out, like if that's going to change or if that actually is some sort of number no, 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 no. that they're crunching but, in the background. No. Yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. That, that is not a real number. So, so okay. again, is it, is it clear what I'm, what I'm saying? It's, it's that – no, if it, I it is clear, it, it's just that I have no idea of of being sure of, of either, you know, of it going either way, and that's why I was bringing it up and mentioning it. Okay, well, I would say so. I tweeted this, I think, a couple of days ago uh, of of mortgage spreads, the thirty year mortgage spread, right, uh, to thirty year treasuries. That, and that, that's obviously data we know every single day. Uh, look at that data, and that, and again, I think common sense would and that's that's why i 
reacted the way I did when when you, when you put that up there. Right. That doesn't pass my sniff test. But if we go into the um, in Bloomberg on that series, they're they're referencing and pulling in the quarterly data. But since the quarterly data hasn't changed in three months, the week to week change is effective is literally the same number for the last three months. Point zero zero three zero two. Point zero zero three zero. So whatever right. smoothing mechanism they're using, bottom line, that is complete garbage data. That's not reality. That's not what's happening. And when we get the senior loan officer survey data and that feeds into Chicago's data, right. you will see a very big change. And uh, either, you know, please yeah. share it. Please share it when it comes out. Yeah, Good I will. Stuff. Thanks. Thank you. Good stuff. All right. Hey, hey George, can I just make um, a, a comment on what Michael said? Should go for it. Yeah. So I think he's absolutely right that we're not going to see a turnaround in, um, in um, depositors wanting that spread for themselves rather than uh, letting the banks enjoy it. And I think it's very significant. There's two things uh, to point out here. The role of banks in the economy has been shrinking for 20 years. And I think Cantro can attest to the fact that Banks at one time were like 25% of the S&P, and they're probably down to about 8 or 9%. And their role in credit creation has shrunk considerably. That's number one. Number two, uh, I think the Apple card is a very significant move. Apple has 6 million, maybe 7 million cardholders. And this has a, raised the awareness uh, in terms of getting the 4.15% uh, savings rate uh, from Goldman. But think about that. Uh, that has been front and center for the Gen Zers and, and um, millennials to see that there are alternatives to uh, bank accounts where they can get higher yield. And um, they're doing that without a single branch. So um, I think what we're seeing with the spreads widening on bank spreads is that this is a longer term problem. Yeah. And all those branches are fossils. Anybody under 30 doesn't, doesn't go to a branch. Exactly. That's all I got. Which doesn't bode well for commercial real estate. That's just more inventory that's coming. Uh, Michael Lawrenceburg, do you want to uh, put your question? Cantor, are you still there? Because Michael had a question, which... Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't hear. And just, um, um, Michael uh, Kramer, it's the same thing, obviously, if you look at CRE lending standards as well. You see you see, it goes to zero, uh, and that'll get revised once the data gets backfilled. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just curious to see on... I'm, I'm hoping maybe we get a little bit of like a a little bit of a sneak peek, but it sounds like you're saying no. So, well, yeah, just, just pull up, pull up, pull up thirty year the bank rate, thirty year treasury right. uh, mortgage rate minus the thirty year government treasury, right? Uh, and pull and plot that with the CNI, you know, the Fed's, not, yeah, not that, not that one, uh, the Fed senior officer data, and you'll see exactly what I mean. But it makes um, you wonder how much of the other data is like that as well, and how valid the index even is as a whole. <laughs> Well, this is because it's quarterly data, whereas, you know, the, the Chicago, there's three things you need to look at. There's credit spreads, 
you know, the interbanking stuff when you get a banking crisis, which happened, yeah, sure. you know, blew up in, in March. And then, you know, basically credit spreads and the PE of the market are the financial conditions. Right. And the dollar. And then you got the Fed funds rate, the prime, you know, the yield curve, money yeah. growth, and uh, le- uh, lending standards. That covers right. 99% of what you need. All this other, you know, they, they have 150 variables in here or something. You don't need 150 variables. <laughs> no, definitely not. But okay, thanks for answering my question. If we could, if we yeah. could, if, if we could agree not to, we've gone down that rabbit hole in that particular data. If we could agree not to talk about that anymore, that would be helpful. Sure. Um, uh, <laughs> Panic me though, George. I got a little freaked out. <laughs> Michael Norensberg, do you want to put your question directly to Cantro? Because uh, Cantro, Michael had a question about the possibility of because um, inflation numbers rates actually going back up and what that might do to the market. Michael Norensberg, I don't know if I phrased the question properly, but do you want to put it directly to Cantro? I don't know if he's still there. No, that no, no, no. That's very legit. I mean, you know, that's exactly but paraphrased more eloquently than I could have put it. So yeah, so 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 Cantor, the possibility that you know we get not such benign inflation numbers and rates actually have to start going back up again, the likelihood of that and what that would do to the market, given that the market's already probably discounted rate cuts. What's your take on that? Um, well, then, yeah. Then we go from you know the, the market's clearly right now. If if you look at the comment I said earlier, uh, bond yields and stock prices are positively correlated. That means that people are focused on growth, so better growth, better stocks, and higher yields, uh, and all is fine. But obviously, that has a point where we're going to hit negative convexity, right? If the economy booms for the next six months, um, uh, and let's assume inflation doesn't go down because of that, um, we're going to ha- we're going to be back in the problem we had last year to some extent. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a moving target. It's hard to quantify, um, again, simply looking at the relationship of bond yields and stock prices kind of help you understand, is the market wor- worried about inflation? Well, then you'll have a negative relationship, higher yields, lower stocks, and vice versa. But I think right now, given the um, recency bias of the banking issue and some of the softer labor data, maybe maybe some of that's gone after today, but uh, you know the, the claims move we've seen... Um, Plus the banking issues, you know, obviously fears of recessions have uh, have pushed back up, and uh, and that's why I think we're seeing that positive relationship. But um, if the data should continue to get better, uh, and especially if we see another rise in gasoline and oil prices, um, the prices paid data uh, in the PMIs, you know, people get excited about the PMIs going up. Well, the prices paid it did went up with it as well, and so if you look at um, um, what's the data point? Um, capacity, capacity utilization is cyclically at the highs, which kind of tells you that there's not a lot of operating leverage in the economy. And obviously, with the unemployment rate where it is, uh, it's it's gonna be hard to grow in a in a disinflationary way. So uh, it could become a problem again. But I think right now people are still focus on banks and the uh, earnings and the economy and uh, and labor. So. Um, uh, I think it's not the top issue right now, but it could become one. Hey, Cantor, one question I wanted to ask you. Um, reflecting back from a few months ago, we were all on this page about we're going to see a very sharp decline in earnings. And if I'm not mistaken, maybe it's the wrong data, but I've seen uh, somewhere on Twitter or elsewhere people pointing out, I think, that S&P earnings estimates the last few weeks have actually gone up a few dollars. Is that correct? And then, and then more and then two how has um, your view or the house view at Piper 
change, uh, Senator, you rely on Nancy Lazar a lot, um, your view or the House's view on earnings, how has that changed over, say, the last two or three months? Uh, sure. So <clears throat> earnings estimates uh, have gone down. Um, so I think what people are referring to, so there's two, way, there's two ways we can look at earnings. We can look at calendar year earnings. I mean, there's, I, guess, I guess there's a number of ways you can look at earnings. I don't look at quarter to quarter. It's just too noisy. And again, I'm looking beyond that time frame. Uh, so I'm always looking at either calendar earnings. So what are earnings estimates for 2023? Obviously, those become less relevant as we go deeper into the year and 24 becomes more relevant. And that, that then brings up another way to look at earnings, is, which is on a forward rolling 12-month basis. So for large caps, not true for small caps, small cap earnings have just gone straight down and it's not just financials, it's pretty much all sectors. Um, similarly for mid caps. But the S&P 500 uh, earnings estimates uh, I see right now as of yesterday are $221 for this year, which is uh, at we're sitting at the lows for estimates for the year. We started the year off. Uh, people thought we'd, we'd earn two, 230 bucks. Now people think we're going to earn 221 bucks for next year's earnings. People thought at the start of the year that the S&P would earn $253 in 2024. Now they think we're going to earn $246. So calendar year earnings for this year and next year have gone down on a rolling 12-month basis because that decline has been, and this sorry if this, if this sounds confusing, um, if the decline in earnings estimates, you know, we're down about 5%. We're already now five months into the year. So... So there's a there's a ten percent estimated jump in earnings from this year to next year. Right, we go from two twenty one if nothing changes to two forty six. So as the year progresses, the forward twelve month number that people look at, which again is going to change as time goes on, it'll be more about twenty twenty four, less about twenty twenty three, has started to go up in the last few months, and that's because yeah, listen, you've had some big cap companies that have had decent earnings, so earnings have kind of the slowdown in estimates have kind of come to a crawl and a couple months have come by. And so the forward earnings number, which is again now almost 50-50 this year and next year, the first six months of next year and the last six months of this year, uh, has gone up. Does that mean earnings are up? No. It means time has gone on and people think people, now you're on the forward 12-month number starting to think about what 2024 looks like. I think there's a couple of reasons why earnings have kind of slowed their uh, decline, even though, again, they're sitting on a calendar, calendar level at their lows. Two reasons. One, the S&P 500 is up um, for the year. Number, uh, so big caps are up. Analysts don't really like to lower numbers um, when their stock prices or when the market's up. Number two, I think the banking issues has really uh, negatively impacted visibility and everyone's trying to figure out and kind of waiting to see what their companies are going to say. And so we're, you know, a little bit past halfway through earnings season right now. Um, but I would expect those earnings estimates to keep falling going forward. So sorry if that was overly complicated. Um, you know, it's kind of great. It's, it's all kind of natural to me. But uh, if I confused you, please. Uh, no, 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 you got it. So just to be clear, the 23 numbers have uh, continued to um have continued to the 20 the estimates of 20 we're down five percent they've continued to decline there's been no 
increase in 23 earnings estimates in recent weeks? Uh, I'm looking month to month, and la- April 20 at the end. Well, the end of April we were 221. Today we're at 221 spot 35. So we're all right. We're we're, okay. we're we're 12 cents lower. So we're it's basically been flat in the last month. Okay, fine. That's all. That's all. That that, that clears that up. Thanks for that. I want to go. Tiger Global's got his hand up, and then we're going to go to Baron. Thanks for that, Cancho. Tiger Global, you want to weigh in on something? Yeah, I wanted to ask a question to Cantro because I, I want to get clarification. Uh, the Sluice report comes out Monday, right? Is that is that right? I believe so. I think that uh, it's yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I never found the actual uh, place where they say it's going to come out this day, but I think Powell right. said something, and I think there was an article about it coming out. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, the last one because I was just looking at it now. Uh, it wasn't that pretty. I mean, you saw an indication of bank lending standards already tightening, so. With what just happened in the regional banking sector, I find it hard to believe that it's going to be any prettier. And I don't know, like if you look over history, you know, it typically uh, uh, proceeds with uh, a lot more bankruptcies, right? And you've seen some notable, some notable bankruptcies in the subprime auto space already. Um, but yeah, and also I don't know if you guys caught this, um, but Jim. Bianco just put out a thread on the banking sector. Uh, bank deposits declined uh, $12.5 billion in the last week. Um, and you're actually seeing more declines in deposits from the big banks, uh, which I guess kind of makes sense. I mean, like, was JP Morgan pays you like 1% uh, a one uh, basis point on your deposit. So uh, I'm not really. Uh, sure what the proposition is there when you can get four percent somewhere else but anyway um, i just wanted to get uh clarification on that thanks, thanks. yeah I'm, george gonna make a quick comment and then i i get a i get a bolt yep. and i'll be quick yep yep um to, to uh not tiger's point um and i think george you and i met a little over a year ago and we were i was first started to talk about lending standards because because they were tightening um, quite prematurely to where they typically tight, tighten the business cycle. But um, there's never been, if you line up the Fed funds rate and lending standards, they've never in history tightened together simultaneously like this. The progression historically is the Fed hikes, usually much you know much um, earlier, not, not as late as they were, were this time. The Fed hikes, then the economy starts to slow and usually lending standards start to really pick up tightening, which they're already at and going to get worse. Once the Fed is around being done, as you're starting to see the impact of the Fed's tightening cycle. And as the economy slows, banks tighten lending standards. You know, they're very pro-cyclical. The economy gets better, they ease. The economy gets worse, they, uh, they tighten. This is the only time in history, going back to 1966, which that data do go back to, you just have to find it, where you've had a simultaneous tightening from the Fed and lending standards, both of those have about a 15 to 18 month lead. They're gonna hit simultaneously. That's never happened. I don't know how what that means or if it means anything, but you know, the Fed's never hiked with lending standards this tight, ever. And it's never happened coincidentally. It always happens Fed first, then the Fed cuts and banking standards really get tight because the economy's in a recession. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that all plays out because it's never happened, but it's certainly an asymmetric risk to bad things happening, not good things happening. 
Do you have potential for a hard landing following that logic? Uh, potential, I'd say it's close to uh, uh, a probability of certainty than at any point. I mean, again, historically, we have all the we can we have all the conditions for a recession, uh, which is lending standards, the Fed tightening rates, and an inflation problem. That's what's preceded every one of the last eight recessions since 1960. Soft landings happen when you have low inflation while the Fed's tightening and banks that are easing lending standards like we had in 20, before 2019, before 1995, before 1985, and before 1967. So it could be different, but you know, if I'm playing blackjack, the dealer's got a six in front of me and I got a six. I'm gonna, that's a hard pass. Yeah, is, is the timing of this uh, slowdown of recession um, relative to expectations, say a year ago, is this taking a bit longer than you anticipated? Um, you know, last year I think we 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 probably would, would have said oh, we're going to be in a recession first half of this year, and then by I think the middle of the year we pushed that back to the back half this year. But I would say for most people, it feels like it's longer because the market's been market peaked back in January of 2022 because we have an inflation bear market which is something historically that's never happened. So I think that reference bias, oh, look, the market's down last year. You know, why are we in a recession already? Or the Fed's been raising rates so quickly. From a timing lag, putting aside the pace of tightening, and the pace of tightening doesn't necessarily mean it should happen sooner. There's not really good evidence of that uh, because it still take. you know, I could shove six sandwiches down my throat right now and yeah, that's, that's going to suck in about a half an hour, but it's not, I'm not going to feel full in 30 seconds necessarily. Um, so it's still, you still have to go through, it still has to hit housing and then hit manufacturing and then hit profits and then hit uh, employment. And if there's anything that's going to slow it down, it's the fact that we have inflation, companies have pricing power, and they're going to hold on to employees a little longer. And the reaction function as margins come down that could also be longer. So, you know, maybe it does take longer from here because as someone mentioned earlier, it's been 16 years since the last time we had this set up or the last time we saw a true recession, which is the longest time in history between uh, since you've had the Fed raise rates, lending standards tighten, and an inflation problem like we had in 07. Thanks, Castro. So, yeah. Hang around as long as you can. I know you got to get moving, but thanks as always for your contribution. Really helping a lot of folks. Um, let's go to Baron. Baron, good to see you. What's up, my friend? Hi, George. Uh, so uh, I have a question, and I'm going to follow up with a series of events the, the, that uh, backs up the question, and then ask Cantro and also Michael Kramer their, their thoughts on this. The question is, where in the credit crunch or the credit cycle, basically, do credit, a credit card lender, you know, credit card lenders, basically banks, J.P. Morgan, uh, all of them, you know, Amex, et cetera, where they start to basically tighten credit uh, utilization, like basically they start to basically uh, reduce, start asking people questions like, such as, hey, you know, are you still making this salary, which is a lot of you guys have probably seen recently. Um, they've been sending out letters in the apps. They've been asking questions. And then more recently... Um, I learned that they started to uh, actually ask people, you know, about their credit and uh, ask them if they're using their credit. So they've actively been going into people's credit cards that are not used on a regular basis. So sometimes people have sock drawer cards and they are actually closing them. They're actively going into business and personal cards and closing them. I talked to JP Morgan, Chase, this, this week. I talked to 
City National Bank because they actually called me for the same reason and to ask me questions. And then I talked to Amex and asked them the same question. They said, yeah, we're, you know, we're looking to, you know, get rid of basically people who are not using credit cards. And they openly said so. They didn't have a problem at all, which is unusual. So where, you know, where in a credit crunch do these types of events happen? Early, mid? You know. it, 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 they're in the senior loan officer survey data that we, we've been talking about. There's a component, a subcomponent for credit cards specifically. And, and that's, that is literally surveying those loan officers that are calling you or, you know, their bosses or whatever. Um, so it's already, it's already, ha it's already happening. Uh, and it exacerbates uh, to the downside to the extent unemployment goes up. Yeah, and then and then on the credit card side, so um, I talked to George about this a while back, but basically a lot of these credit card companies pad their numbers and by through transactions, through manufactured spending, through offering bonuses, credit cards, awards, et cetera, where they can kick the can down the road of paying those, you know, for basically those awards basically don't get paid out for quite a long time, if at all, and they get cheaper. But this is going to actually crunch their numbers as well because as they re reduce the number of you know those offers they they uh put out which is what they're doing right now and reduce the number of cards people have they're actually going to shrink their earnings in return all right thanks for that Ben. we'll go a few more questions and then we're going to call it a night i want to go to uh Joseph, and then to Jaguar. Joseph, welcome. What's on your mind? Hey, George. Good to see you. So um, I was listening earlier to Michael Kramer, and he was talking about a little about the chaos that he perceives the market in. And I don't know about anyone else, but today things kind of played out the way I thought they would as I was watching the pre-market. Um, you know, we've had the last couple of days um, a bit of chaos on fear and kind of sell off so across multiple sectors like energy um like finance like some of the tech and when i was looking at the things this morning i kind of saw things that made sense to me you know you could see early on at least rephrase that i could see early on this morning um we were getting bounces in basically regionals i could see this morning that we had strength in recreation um you know i was seeing the early kind of glimmers of bouncing going on in tech and so i'm not sure about michael but doesn't that when you were looking at today didn't things kind of play out in a way that kind of did make sense yeah jo joseph let me just uh let me just uh, preempt michael I, 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 that's just one day it's one data point I, I i don't think you can conclude much from one particular day I, michael if you heard him speak earlier cancho he looks at a much longer time frame so um I, I don't think it's really relevant. I mean, yeah, if you saw this go on for weeks, maybe, but what one day? No, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't, I don't think it's really relevant. It, it, th th thanks for the question, Jaguar. You got a question? Hi guys, thanks for having me. Um, just quickly, one comment and one question. I have an uncle who lives in uh, West Virginia, and he owns a lot of land over there that he has uh, leased out to companies that drill in that region and he gets royalties out of this land. So he has all this cash flow coming each month. A couple of days ago, he called me and he said, hey, what do you think about I got all this money sitting in the bank account. Um, it's earning nothing, 0.1%. What do you think about if I just simply move this money into a money market fund? And I said, 
are you doing this because you're afraid of what's going to happen to your bank? Are you doing it for higher yield? Like, I'm just doing it for higher yield. I'm not worried about my bank, but I can get paid so much more on this because I don't have any use of this. This is just one example of how I see what's happening through the system. And at some point, I'm wondering, we've already seen deposit outflows of, I think, over a trillion dollars. If you look at the trends, where does that settle? Because the delta between the deposit rate and the money market rate is over 400 basis points. And I think soon we're going to start to see big 5% advertisements everywhere for money market funds, you know, on, on Twitter, social media, banners, and so on. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, Jaguar, sorry to interrupt. I don't know how long you've been on the, on the call, but we discussed this, uh, I think, over an hour ago. Bobby J., are you still there? Because um, Bobby J. was talking about this very, this very issue. I think you're spot on. Um, and so I just don't know how you solve that. How do you, yeah, how do you, well, well, one or two things has to happen. The rates have to converge either, you know, the money market rate comes down, well, it's up to the, you know, the, the fed or the banks have to uh, increase their rates. So if you were listening to the commentary earlier, um, I think that many folks were saying it kind of makes some of these banks uh, obsolete. So, um, I suggest it, you go it, back. It, yeah. And I, that, I, 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 Sorry, sorry to overrule you or, or speak over you. We, we've discussed this um, very issue about an hour ago. Is there that's any okay. I have a quick question for Kentro, yeah, if I can, if I could. Yeah, um, if you still here, go ahead. Yeah, Kentro, um, the last core PCE X housing was four point six percent. Cleveland Nowcast is forecasting for the month of April four point six six percent. The month of May, which will probably move a little bit because we're still in May, is forecasting 4.67%. A year ago, it was the same. Six months ago, it was the same. Three months ago, it was the same. And it's still not changing. And this is Federal Reserve's favorite inflation indicator that they're basing their entire policy on. And it just refuses to come down. It is as sticky as it could be despite 500 basis points of tightening. And here I see the market sentiment is forecasting rate cuts beginning from July. And I think about 75 basis points of rate cuts are expected in the second half of 2023. How do you reconcile this? Uh, well, again, the, mar- the markets, I'm going to keep it short because you know, everyone looks at the same data of what, you know, uh, on Bloomberg, it's WIRP data, W-I-R-P, of what the market's pricing in. There's very different metrics uh, when you look at options and how they're actually pricing in the market. And it's not as um, um, quite as actually not quite, but it's not at all as um, bullish on on treasuries or or as uh, uh, dovish. That's the right word. So, um, again, markets are extrapolating today and try to uh, and, and, and figure out where the future is going. If the data come in hot, that'll, that data will shift. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of silly to, to make decisions based uh, today on where, where the market, that, that data says the, the Fed's going to be in six months. The Fed doesn't know where they're going to be in six months. Uh, and, and the data will determine that and markets will react. So I, I, would, I wouldn't get too caught up uh, in... in in, in that data for, um, if anything, we've seen just the market become more and more myopic. Oh, just one point about the Cleveland fed. Sorry. Uh, just realize that it's kind of like a lagging indicator. Right. And so I got caught on this pretty badly because 
in October, they were forecasting a number and they also uh, didn't include, you know, obviously the expected adjustment to health insurance, right? And so that resulted in, you know, a big miss on their number. So you just have to be aware that it's just a, mo a regression model that really doesn't, uh, it doesn't really capture all the factors. So just be kind of aware of that and don't get too locked into following it too closely, you know, and assuming that it's going to be, you know, gold standard. Just one thing, and it's, it's also people pricing in a, a recession, right? I mean, again, it's the average of all the expectations going out there. And so, you know, I'll sound like a clown like this, saying this point today after today's jobs report, but if the unemployment rates at four and a half or five in six months from now, are we still going to be sitting here talking about where CPI is going? I don't think so. Unless it's going up and that's then we're in a real problem. But um, I guess what I'm trying to ask, Andrew, is the way I'm seeing the stickiness in the data is really this question that I'm trying to get to the heart of. Could, could we yeah, have well, a situation... Could we have a situation yeah. where we have rising unemployment, inflation still sticky, core PCEX housing up above 4% for a prolonged period of if time? Companies are, if big companies are still raising prices, and some of them still are, then that's, that's going to, yeah, initially, you know, I don't know what the magic number is where employment has to rise, unemployment has to rise to, to crush that. Um, it's a moving target. But uh, until we get there, the answer, the answer is yes. Anything's possible. Great. By the way, before we go any further, uh, Tommy Thornton, I don't know if you're still there. I, I remember we, uh, you, you mentioned me earlier today. You had to you had to leave at a certain point. I don't know if you're still there, but if you are, I wanted to thank you for everything. Um, uh, you you were absolutely terrific for the first first hour uh, that you were holding court. So uh, oh, thanks. Thank, thank you very much, Tommy. I don't know if you can still hang around, but um, yeah, I'm I'm around. I I just I just drove home and um, cool. Yeah glass of wine uh deployed and uh, this has been a really good call uh some great speakers and uh thank you george for hosting it and uh look i think one of the things that um we can all agree is that uh, george you've uh, um, been a great host for these spaces you bring together great people and look it's a journey and uh, thank you for uh, bringing all these people together and uh all of us learn a little bit more um, uh, each time. So uh, I think I speak for everybody. Thank you, Tommy. Always a pleasure to have you. Okay, we have a few more speakers, and then I do want to close this room. Um, and I'm going to ask each of you to try to keep it on the brief side because we could go on all night. We're a bunch of addicts here. So let's let Illini speak. Then Deer Point is back. Then Damia and then Jaguar. So Illini, good to, good to see you. What's up, my friend? Good to see you, George. Hey, uh, one quick note. You guys have been discussing liquidity. Um, I, I wanted to basically draw something to, to your attention on the oil front, basically. If you take a look at basically speculative positioning over the past five to six months in the oil markets, it's through, it's robust to the period that you pick. Um, it explains about like 60 to 70 percent of the change in price in oil. Normally that's about 15 to 30% in sort of a normal market. So we're really seeing actually financial flows, positions by speculators determining the price of oil right now, rather than sort of what's going on in terms of inventories or other situations. 
Um, we saw about 100 million, a little over 100 million barrels of liquids sell off from the prior Tuesday to this Tuesday. And that basically explains the $5 move entirely. So I think, you know, in, in this market, you know, it isn't necessarily the fundamentals that, that are winning right now. Although, you know, you, you can have a good argument about it. Um, it, it really seems that there's, a, there's some really big financial flows that are kind of driving prices. So is one to infer from that that you think oil prices are going to, oil prices have undershot and should go higher? Where, where, where are you going with that? I don't know. I, I, well, I think, I think, well, speculators are starting to run out of futures decisions. They're not long. They came into 2022, uh, long 500 million barrels. Uh, at the beginning of 2023, they got down to 300 million. Right now, I want to say they're sitting at around 75 million barrels of, of net liquids long positions. And every time they, they sell it off, they bounce into support at about 65 or $70 a barrel, which is the all-interstating cost for the Permian Basin. They have a, they have a 55% first-year decline rate. So basically, the economics catch up with them pretty quickly on, on capital spending. So whenever it bounces down, you know, other, you know, other, the commercial participants, the refiners, the oil producers basically kind of jump in and, and kind of take the other side of that trade. I think once we get them out of the market, the question is whether they go short or not, um, you know, at, at the very least, physicals will kind of, you know, regain control at that point, hopefully. Thanks, I appreciate it. Okay, um, losing track of who's here. Uh, I think... I think, uh, God, we got, let's see, Deer Point, Jaguar, damn it. Uh, Jaguar, your turn to speak, and then Deer Point. Jaguar, welcome. What's on your mind? Jaguar, are you there? Uh, yeah, I, I already asked the question, sorry, so you can go to Deer. Uh, okay. I, I, yeah. Welcome back. Um, try to keep it on the briefer side because uh, we've been going at this for quite a while now, almost two hours. To your point, good to see you. What's up? Yeah, thank you, George. Uh, yeah, so I'll just kind of give my thoughts. Um, you know, I, I do think that what continues to kind of be uh, of interest to me is some of these emerging markets. Um, you know, I, I think last time you had uh, Michael Kramer on, George, we talked uh, briefly about Poland and some of those areas. And Poland obviously just got a massive retail spending number out. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think that emerging markets might be some places still to, to look because I, I'm at least in the U.S., I don't I don't think that we've really gotten the uh, let's say the slowdown that's that's to be expected. So sometimes even now picking things here, um, I would still say some of those things are, are you know, relatively expensive. So, um, you know, that's my thoughts. I just you know, I'm, I'm watching Turkey. Obviously, that's a market I know well just because of, you know, genetics. But, um, you know, I, I think after the, um, the election, which is in 10 days, uh, that you know, the Turkish bourse has probably set for, for a bit of a rally. So, um, you know, I'm watching Turkey and I, I continue to watch, uh, watch Poland as, as well as Malaysia. So, uh, those are just kind of my, my three tops of minds, uh, going into this year. Did you have anything else you wanted to say on the banks? That was the train of thought we oh, were engaged yeah, in. Sorry. Yeah. I, I didn't want to, uh, to reverse it back unless, uh, but yeah. So with, with the banks, you know, I, 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 I still like the regionals. Um, um, you know, I obviously some of them have been absolutely, uh, I would say, unduly, um, you know, kind of beaten up uh, this week. But if we kind of look at where things are going, um, 
you know, I think that eventually the Fed's going to have to do something. I'm not sure if you saw Hugh Henry where he was like, are, are they just going to completely lock in people's uh, deposits? But at some point, they got to do something to stop deposit outflow. And, um, you know, money market funds obviously continue to be attractive to all investors. Um, actually, institutional continues to be the the um, continues to be the largest inflows actually into these money market funds uh, above retail. But um you know, um, I, I do think that, you know, some of these banks are still uh, well run. Um, and obviously with some of those, uh, how, how beaten up they've gotten over the past week or two, um, some of them are extremely attractive. But again, um, you know, you got to be very selective. There's some banks in South Carolina that I like, um, one that's very well run on, on a quarter over quarter basis for about the last year. They've been growing deposits um, at about 10 percent. Um, and obviously, very well capitalized if you kind of look at, you know, provisions for loan losses against gross impaired loans. So I, I do think that some of those banks are, are still very good. So, um, you know, it's, it's just the whole outflow issue. Um, but again, what could banks have done? What could they have bought to yield 4% on, on deposits? And, you know, I, I, I don't think that that is broadly um, necessarily their fault. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Okay. Let's go to, uh, Damn you. Damn you. The floor is yours. Thanks, George. Uh, I'm glad Tommy was able to stick around because uh, he had mentioned, oh, no, he's gone. Never mind. But my comment is just about the, uh, the idea of the psychology of market participants uh, being a, a constant because everybody says, oh, that everybody's going to react the same. And everybody's models are based on the traditional reaction of and psychology of market participants. But uh, but there, you, Tommy had said that everybody is now used to 10 years of uh, emergency low rates. And I think that's affected the psychology of the market. It's it's a different market now. So that's why uh, the models aren't working anymore. Everybody does see it as a casino. So how many people does it take to treat it as its casino before it actually becomes a casino? And all the models don't work because of that. And, the, and there's the recency bias. I mean, We've all become accustomed to, you know, market behavioral patterns over the last decade. Um, that's all people know. Can't blame them. Uh, it's a Pavlovian response. So, no, I think you're totally right. Until something, until something runs amok and we go off the rails. Um, okay, I think. God, we've been going on for two hours. This has just been a phenomenal room. I want to thank all of you. Tommy Thornton, he's left. Cantro, um, Deer Point, Bobby J. Just an awesome room, um, and we'll do it again before too long. So thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend, and uh, take care. Bye-bye.